The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Cordyceps Chronicles, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. PoppyChulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, March 6, 2023, and I'm your host, Priscilla Obregón. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on HBO's The Last of Us. Please welcome my co-hosts, Vinnie Hatcher. Hello, hello, hello. And Jeffrey Aruz. Welcome, listeners. Stu's on. <laughs> Let's jump into our discussion of Season 1, Episode 8, which was titled When We Are in Need and debuted March 5th, 2023 on HBO. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Ellie crosses paths with the vengeful group of survivors and draws the attention of its leader. A weakened Joel faces a new threat. So, Episode 8 begins the reading from Revelation. 21 which speaks of a new heaven and a new earth since the first ones had passed away as we hear these words we see a town that is almost the exact opposite of jackson buildings covered in snow and abandoned no people on the streets just cold and empty then we see david played by scott shepherd who's reading this bible verse to a group that looks desperate and haggard when david hears a girl crying he stops reading and goes to her inside the old steakhouse they're meeting in their meeting in hangs a banner that reads when we are in need he shall provide david says he's reading this passage too many times and the girl says she doesn't remember what comes next david recites and god will wipe away all the tears from their eyes for there will be no more death neither sorrow nor crying neither will there be any more pain for the former things have passed away the girl nods at that and she knows as if she knows what that means and david shows the girl compassion as he walks away, the girl asks, when can we bury him? David looks around and meets eyes with James, who's played by Troy Baker, who voiced Joel in the video game, and then replies that the ground is too cold and they can bury this man in the, the spring. After the meeting, David meets people outside, promising they'll get through this. As other people leave, David asks James how much they have left of the venison, elk, and rabbit. James says if they ration it, they may have a week, two at best, but two men saw some deer a few miles away, yet it could be nothing. As James walks away, David says he sends doubt in the steakhouse. James says they haven't lost any faith, they're just scared, but David clarifies he doesn't mean from them. James laughs it off and says he still believes, but it's been a rough six months. David then says he needs to know James is with him, and when he agrees, David tells James to go get his gun. They're going hunting. So I'm going to pause for half a second here and ask, what were your thoughts of David, James, and this new group of people? And I'm going to start with you, Jeff. So The Last of Us, in my opinion, does a really good job of introducing us to people that we were, at least for me, like I'm immediately sort of like 
fascinated by and I'm like curious about their journey and what they're up to and that sort of thing. So immediately like this commune, this flock of uh, individuals, they were it was interesting to see them struggling and uh, it was interesting to see sort of like the power dynamic within the group. I can't really say anything else because I don't want to jump way too far ahead because I have many opinions about a whole bunch of other stuff. But in the beginning, it, it was it was just really interesting to see a different POV, uh, much like what we saw in uh, you know earlier episodes when we were sort of like thrust in the middle of like a separate storyline that was going on with a different group slash community. So you were just interested, you were here for the mayhem, but uh, I want to know what you thought, Vinny. Did you, like, since you hadn't gotten to this portion of the game, I'm not sure if you already knew what was behind David or if you, like, were just like, okay, it's churchy guy. Yeah, I knew of the existence of David in the game and the cannibal town. Um, So, I mean, I had seen people play portions of it where this was going on. So the moment that I saw him on screen, I was like, oh, so that's where we're going this episode. Um, You know, I mean, it was your typical extreme Christian cult fair, very, very much reading from a Bible and people desperate for something to believe in and this guy using his charisma to lead them. Um, It didn't really strike anything new or phenomenal with me, but it was interesting. And I I was curious to see how they were going to portray this because it's a very interesting part of the game. Like I remember seeing someone have to like sneak through the town when people are trying to find you. Um, So I was curious what level of zealotry we were going to see and how deep into this town we were actually going to go. But I, th- I agree. I think it was interesting to start the show not with Joel and Ellie and their, you know, current crisis, but start off with the opposing side, who were going to become the antagonist of this episode. So I had already seen uh, this portion of the game, like, this past weekend. So I was, like, hyped to see who they were going to get for David. And when I get this, like, unassuming pan, I'm, I'm just kind of like, this is going to be perfect, because... The way they set it up, like, there's just little hints that something is off here. Like, he's doing this sermon using, like, Revelations, which, again, like, is a pretty, like, dark chapter in the Bible. But also, he's doing it in a steakhouse. Why is he, like, proselytizing in a steakhouse? It just, it seems weird. There's a dissonance there. And that look that he gave James when he's, like... Uh, like, what do you want me to tell this person? Like, th- like they they were co-conspirators and something. Like little hints like that give people that are like avid TV watchers or, or people that are gamers that have like never seen this play out like in the game, so they're getting brand new background information. Like, it it's interesting. It's good, and I loved the fact that we got Troy Baker. I was like, ah, I recognize that voice. That's Joel. It was it was. Is good. I liked that. So we then cut back to Joel and Ellie, the real Joel in this case, Pedro Pascal. Joel is still prone in the basement of the house that they're hiding out in, but the wound isn't looking good. She puts water on Joel's lips and shares some of what little food they have left. 
but Joel is mostly unresponsive. Ellie says she'll be right back, takes Joel's rifle, and heads out to the woods to hunt. She sees a rabbit, but he runs off, and she trips trying to chase after him. As she keeps walking, she hears an odd noise, then finds a deer. This time, she hits the ground and shoots from a distance. She hits the deer, but he still runs off, and Ellie goes after it. A trail of blood shows that the deer eventually died, but David and James found it first. They seem scared, worried that someone is nearby, but they try to take the deer before anyone shows up. However, Ellie soon sneaks up on them, shouting that they need to drop their rifles while she aims her gun at them. David praises her stealthiness, but Ellie isn't having it, telling them to walk away. But David asks for 10 seconds of Ellie's time, in which he says he's from a larger group and they're all very hungry. Ellie replies, lying, saying that she's also from a larger group who are also hungry. David states that even so, he can't bring his deer back. She can't bring the deer back on their own. David says he's not looking to just take the deer that they can trade with Ellie, almost giving her a situation away. Almost giving her situation away, Ellie excitedly asks if they have medicine for infections. David says yes, that Ellie can follow them, but Ellie refuses. Ellie says James can go get the medicine, come back, and they get half the deer. David tells James to get some penicillin and needles. And when James looks uncertain about this order, David says it's not a code to do what he says, and James leaves for the the medicine, leaving Ellie and David alone in the woods. I'm going to pause here and say... Now we're not getting the perspective from Joel. We're getting the perspective from Ellie. So what did you think about that, Vinny? Well, I think it's definitely time for her to, you know, have her own foray out into the wilderness because she's in a current crisis. The guy that was supposed to protect her is wounded. And we get to see Ellie kind of come full circle with everything that's happened this season so far. And I liked this part. You know, she can definitely hold her own. She can definitely, you know, stand her ground. She's not... She is afraid, but she's not letting the fear stop her from going and doing what needs to be done. They needed food. She needs medicine for Joel. So, you know, against her better judgment, she, you know, is engaging with these people. Little does she know that to them, she's potentially breakfast. And, you know, if she's an unvaccinated from the clicker stuff, then they might consider her organic food and a delicacy. But we'll find out later if they eat her or not. Um, bad cannibal joke. I just had to because I forgot to say it in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but w- this was a very interesting scene because the dialogue back and forth between Ellie and David was very, very taut with tension, right? Like she's hoping and wanting to believe that these are good people, but she knows based on past experience that they're probably not. And they are still relatively close to where the wounding happened, so she's further on alarm. I really like the exchange between them. It kind of set the stage for the tension that was going to continue to ratchet up the rest of the episode. So you liked the tension, and you suspected that they saw her as veal, as young meat to be eaten. Uh, Jeffrey, what were your thoughts during this uh, trade-off? Oh, I enjoyed it. I thought their interplay was really well done. I found David to be a really fascinating character. So, uh, like, seeing Ellie having to deal with people, and and we have to remember, the character is just 14, but she handled herself really well. Like, I gotta give her props for the sniping, I gotta give her props for 
you know, the, the right questions that she was asking, the, you know, the little lies that she was telling so that, you know, they uh, wouldn't think that they could sort of, like, get one over on her. Like, Ellie was running the damn show this episode. Um, well, she has been for a couple episodes. But in this one in particular, like, we got to see Ellie use a lot of... Uh, I don't want to call it street smarts because I mean, is it street smarts in the post-apocalyptic world? And that cunning? sort of thing. Uh, cunning. Yes. A, sort of like a cunning nature. Um, you know, it, it's her sort of like really taking to heart probably many, many, many conversations that Joel has had over the course of the past couple of months that they've been together about how to deal with people and, um, you know, how to, uh, not necessarily be mistrustful of everyone, but to certainly question everyone's motives. I appreciated how, again, like you said, that she's wary of strangers, but I also appreciated how they switched it up in the game, because in the game, she's using a bow and arrow, and to, like, the extent of, like, how the show's been played realistically, like... Joel's taught her in the episode before how to use a rifle, but he never taught her how to use a bow and arrow, and they didn't have any, like, there. The only one I can think of is the old um, Native American couple, but they didn't seem like they were going to be taking time out of their schedule to teach a girl how to use a bow and arrow. So I liked the fact how they, like, kind of grounded it in reality. And I also liked the fact that in the game, both... uh. Uh, wait, no, it's not both. It's just David. David sneaks up on her and is kind of like, oh, I'm sorry I startled you, Like, but we're hungry. And, like, he he explains himself that way, whereas, like, with this way, with uh, Ellie, like, sneaking up on them, she shows that she's more cunning, like I mentioned earlier, than the sh- the even the video game give her credit for, that she can sneak up on, like, grown men and hold her own. So... I like that. And as a weird note, um, when Joel's suffering and lying down in the basement and Ellie's like, come on, Joel, like, and she takes a little bit of the jerky and she starts eating it. I'm like, are you going to feed him like a baby bird? Please don't do that. I don't want to see that. On TV. I was very worried about that. Uh, I don't know. I I, I, it, weird thoughts come to my head when I'm watching TV. I'm like, I can see violence, I can see cannibals, but please don't make me see someone baby bird someone. It's just, that's gross. I don't want to see that. <laughs> but yeah, that's just me. Uh, as So, let, continuing on. As they wait, David asks if Ellie's gun is her dad's gun, and if he's the one who's sick. Ellie is unresponsive, and David says it's a four-mile round trip to the settlement, so they'll be waiting for a while. David offers to start a fire at a nearby building, and Ellie reluctantly agrees, telling him to bring the deer. The two sit by the fire, and David attempts to make conversation, but Ellie is silent for once. David assures her that he means no harm, that there's there's room in his group if she wants. Ellie asks if David is the leader of this hunger club, and David says it wasn't his choice. They chose to follow him. Ellie asks if this is a cult, and David jokingly says she's got him there, that he's a preacher, but just normal stuff. Ellie mentions that even after the world ended, he still believes his shit, but David says he became a believer after the outbreak, 
and that before he was a preacher, he was a math teacher. Ellie jokes with him, and we can see the wall start to fall. David says that he then found God after the apocalypse, which is either the best or worst time to find him. After the Pittsburgh quarantine zone fell in 2017, David left with a few others, and that's how their community began. David says they'll settle somewhere, but then raiders would come and they'd have to move again, and they'd find new people along the way until they just ended up there. Ellie says their luck had to run out sooner or later, but David doesn't believe in luck, that everything happens for a reason. When Ellie seems to not believe him, David says he can prove it to her. David says that they didn't expect their winter to be this rough, so David sent four people to a nearby town to scavenge, and only three came back. The one who didn't come back, Alec, was a father who had a daughter Ellie's age. This man was murdered by a crazy man who was traveling with a little girl. Ellie realized that the man David is talking about is the one that stabbed Joel, and the one that Joel killed straightens up as David smiles, saying everything happens for a reason. It turns out that James has returned and is behind Ellie, aiming his gun at her. James and Ellie hold their guns at each other, and James ends up lowering his. David tells James to throw the medicine to Ellie. Uncertain, James does as he's told, and David says he knows she's not from a big group and he can protect her. But Ellie isn't hearing this, taking the medicine and running away without the deer. As she goes, James questions if David is going to let her get away. Ellie runs back to Joel and quickly uses the medication on Joel's wound. After this success, she lays down next to Joel with her arm around him. So I'm going to pause here at this solemn moment and ask Jeffrey, what did you think? Baby? Okay. When he was like, and a crazy man, I was like, oh, shit. Because I did not put two and two together from anything from the start of the episode. When they're mourning someone and this is that or the other. Like, for me, as someone who has not played the game, who knows very, 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 very little about the game, I was shocketed. I was shooketh. I was like, oh, shit. Like, that was a big moment. Because their interplay was fascinating. Like, I liked their questions. Well, I should say, I liked her questions and everything that um, Bella Ramsey as Ellie was, like, giving to David. Like, all of it was was just really well-written and well-acted and all that kind of stuff. And also beautifully shot. Like, the snow in this episode, like, that winter, it was just, it was gorgeous on uh, my TV screen. But once he dropped the bomb, I was like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. I was, like, very, very worried. Because we have to remember, this is the post-apocalyptic hellscape. And, um, you know, you murder somebody from a group, there is usually retaliation. If you've ever seen The Walking Dead, you know shit always goes down if you hurt or kill someone from another group. And, you know, and that group confronts the group that did it, and, I mean, it's a whole situation. So... That was interesting. The fact that he still gave the penicillin was interesting. In the back of my mind, just because, like, I don't know who the fuck these people are. And I would have been like, is, are they giving us, like, acid or something? Like, maybe, is, is this actually penicillin? Is it just water and sugar? Like, I, I would be very um, mistrustful. But at the end of the day, like, Ellie needs to do something. Um... 
I would assume that Ellie has no clue what penicillin is, uh, nor, like, the correct dosage of penicillin. So I was, like, watching her inject him, and I'm like, you don't know what you're doing. Like, uh, that could have been, like, half the bottle that she put inside of him. And in my mind, I just, I'm, like, thinking to myself, she doesn't know, like, what the, like, the dosage is supposed to be, like, how many hours in between dosages, like, she's just completely winging it, and, like, I'm, like, thinking, she's gonna give him so much that he's gonna be fine in, like, six hours, because she has, like, given him, like, super penicillin with uh, the, the giant dosages that she was giving him, but, yeah, like, I was... I was very, very, very worried for both of them. Also, let me just say this to you, little bitch David. You don't know if she's from a big group or not. That was just you talking shit. Like, you don't know. And also, you said a crazy man killed him. Last I remember, if I roll the replay, that dude with the long hair looked like a crazy man that attacked Joel first. So, um, you know... Roll, roll back that beautiful bean footage, because, uh, yeah, y'all attacked us. I'm saying us like I was with them, but we, but we were in spirits. You guys attacked us first, so we were defending ourselves, so fuck off. Yeah. Vinny, what do you think? This was just another instance of the tension just being dialed up further and further. I think one of the interesting things about this episode was the potential slow, almost awkwardly painful crawl towards a confrontation. Like the suspense in this episode was top notch. The, you know, the, the point where Ellie, you, you think to start seeing her lowering her guard. And then there's that moment when she's like, well, fuck, this was really expertly done. And the guy who played David did a great job playing an un, a disarming you know, charismatic guy who's trying to get his claws in her. And this was kind of the point that I realized, I don't think he's after her to eat her. There's something bigger going on here, which we'll get into later because he actually admits what it was. Um, but no, this whole segment was really, really intricate. And it, you know, I have to admit, like when I was watching this, I, I kind of was at like some points like this is kind of slow. But then when as I was paying more attention, I'm like, this is good that it's slow because this is getting under my skin. And it just really makes even though I knew where this was going based on the game, I really was excited to see where it was going to go from here because we're getting to the point where they're going to leave this area and there's going to be a confrontation of some kind or something. And at some point, the shit's going to hit the fan. And when it did, I anticipated it was going to be intense. So I've got a couple of things to say about this scene. First of all, like, I really love that Ellie asks right off the bat if it's a cult, especially considering, like, in the video game, like, in the chats about it, they call it the cult of David. Just that little nod to the fact that he is, like, a cult leader. Like, he is, like, leading them with, like, false rhetoric of, like, the Bible and, like, being a good man. Like, it's... Oh, it's nice. And if you pay attention to details, he says that before he was a preacher, he was a math teacher, meaning he knows everything about, like, how to see into children and see, like, how they work, their social dynamics, what they want to hear to, like, be better, what the, what they would hear to, like, ignore you. Like, he knows how to work with kids. So that, like, automatically was, like, red flag, red flag, like, you... Uh, I don't trust you. And as a nod to the game, too, it, 
he says that he used to be in the Pittsburgh quarantine zone. And they've changed around a lot of things because Canada doesn't look... Well, the places that they shot don't look like Pittsburgh. So they had to be like, no, it's Kansas City. And no, like, it's in the middle of the forest. And, um, like, I think they're in Colorado now, right now, but I'm not sure. But, like, they had to switch around things. But in the video game, this was done. Silver Springs was in Pittsburgh. So, like, it it makes sense that he they give a nod to the video game that way. And also completely agree with Jeffrey. The, using the medicine on Joel's wound, the penicillin, I was like, how much are you giving him? You're giving him like a super dose. And it was a why lot. Why do you even repeat the dosages? This is weird. And are you even supposed to inject him in the side of the wound? Aren't you supposed to inject him like in the thigh? Like so many questions came out to me. But then like I remember like I was like right next to – my friend and he's like wait you're there you're you're forgetting one thing penicillin is made with mold so they're using fungus to save joel isn't like how do they trust penicillin still and for that matter like is it a different sort of world where super drugs like never happen so super bugs never happen so penicillin is still useful because like in this in this day and age, like penicillin is vastly like it's 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 it used to be something really good, but now like it's nothing because people use it for colds and flus when they're not supposed to. So like it just brings up a lot of like interesting detail to the world. And the last thing I want to point out is she lays down next to Joel. She doesn't start a fire, which is awesome, like flashbacks to her first like interaction with Joel where she's like do you want to start a fire and he's like no you raiders can come here like that that like people that are worse so she's apart from using the gun this is also another way to show that she's learned the lessons and she's applying them that Joel taught her so back to the episode back to David's group and in the kitchen we see supplies are low a man brings out some suspicious-looking meat, and when the cook asks what it is, the man replies that it's venison. They put the meat in the pot, and later we see the concoction being ladled out to the people in the steakhouse. As they eat their meager portions, David and James return with a deer, and David stands in front of his group, beaming at his find. But the group doesn't respond, and he quickly realizes that James told them about the girl. David admits that, yes, they found a girl who was with the man who took Alec from them. But David says tomorrow he's getting a group together to find the pair and they'll bring that man to justice. Alec's daughter, the one who's crying in the opening scene, says that they should kill both the man and the girl. David walks up to her, takes off his glove and hits her with it. When the mom tries to intervene, David waves for her not to. Then David helps the girl up and David says that even though Alec is gone, she'll always have a father and she'll show him respect when he's speaking. David sits down as the plate is brought to him. He then leads the group in prayer and they begin to eat their shares, all shoveling down their rations for the day. The next morning, Ellie is still by Joel's side and she checks his temperature. The wound already looks slightly better as Ellie administers more medicine to it. Ellie goes outside and gathers some snow to feed their horse and as she stands outside the house, she sees birds flying away. Ellie hides and sees David's men searching for them. We go to the group where David warns them about a dangerous man and says they'll bring the girl back with them. James mentions if they bring her back, it's another mouth to feed. And David says if they don't, she'll die. 
But James says that maybe that's God's will, which stops David in his tracks. All David has to do is look at James for him to realize he's gone too far. And the group continues to search. Ellie runs back to the house and down to Joel, begging him to get up, but he's barely awake. Ellie puts a knife in his hand, saying she's going to lead the men away from him. And if anyone comes downstairs, he has to kill them. But it's hard to tell if he can even comprehend what she's saying. She tells Joel not to fall asleep, but he closes his eyes as she leaves him, barricading his room from the outside before taking her to her horse. She finds a group and shoots at them, but David says he wants her alive as he slyly smiles. As she runs by, David shoots the horse from out from under Ellie. Another man tells James to shoot Ellie, but David stops him with a gunshot to the sky. David carries Ellie as he heads back home, telling the two men to haul the horse back, and the others go door-to-door looking for Joel. I'm going to pause here and ask, Vinny, what did you think? Well, I think here we're diving into the meat and potatoes of the culmination of Joel and Ellie's relationship, right? You know, in the previous episodes, we finally got to see them kind of give in to the affection that they have to each other and be open and honest with how they care about each other. You know, and her taking care of him and them being together and her nursing him through this wound is kind of like the tables have turned in a sense. Like, as you pointed out, you know, she's taking the lessons that she's learned to heart. She's, you know, going out and getting food. She's kind of standing guard. She's negotiating to get medicine for him. And we're definitely seeing with this being the penultimate episode that they've pretty much kind of reached a point where they're basically, in all senses of the word without saying it, unofficially having a father and a daughter relationship, you know, and the fact that it's symbiotic, you know, he's taking care of her and now she's kind of taking care of him and, you know, she's worrying for him and he's worrying for her. It just added more to the punch in this vignette and throughout this entire episode, you know, these characters are, they're not hiding their, their care anymore. They depend on each other. And, you know, this was really heart wrenching, just seeing her wanting him to be better and, you know, him kind of reminding her not to set the fire and and being proud of her for not doing so. I kind of got that from this. Um, I think all in all, this is kind of giving us a swift kick in the feels before we head into the finale and the the latter part of this episode as well. They have really done a great job of intertwining these two characters on this journey, and I continue to be blown away by the complexities of the relationship, but yet at the same time, how simplistic it actually is. So this is probably one of the better parts of the episode for me, just them two and her nursing him. Though I did worry about her giving him sepsis with the injections (laughs) and the fungus. But uh, yeah, no, this was really, really good. So Vinny appreciates it. Jeffrey, what did you think? I agree, and I co-sign the medical jargon. Uh, I was very confused as to what she was doing, because clearly she had no idea what the hell she was doing. But uh, but it 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 will it, it ends up working out. I mean, clearly, I mean, it's not like Joel was going to die in this episode. So there's that. Um, her sort of grown up nature, you know, as she sort of becomes Joel's uh, caregiver in this episode, was really nice to see. You know, there's a bit of a maturity in Ellie that um, is is quite fascinating to watch especially because of how she was introduced to us that is so seeing that was was like was a very well-earned bit of character development and i completely enjoyed 
seeing her become Joel's protector. And when she was talking to him, like, hey, shit's about to go down. I need you to pay the fucking attention. And if someone breaks in, you need to take them down. I was like, Joel, please understand what she's saying, because you need to do exactly as she says. I was very worried for him. As Jeffrey always says, you in danger, girl. Exactly. (laughs) I was like, okay, so going step by step through this, the suspicious looking meat was hilarious. Oh, that. Oh, I didn't even comment on that. Can I comment on that for just a moment? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So, okay. So let me explain. Because I have not played the game, but... I knew that cannibals were going to be involved because when I ended up just doing a little bit of research on the infected, there was a, a, a line in the Wikipedia that was probably way too much for the section that I was reading where it was like, you know, and the threats in the post-apocalyptic world of the infected of raiders and cannibals. And so I've been waiting for the cannibals. Like, I haven't want, been wanting to say anything about the cannibals because, you know, I'm just like, there, there might be listeners that are much like myself that have no idea about anything about the games. So, like, in every episode, I was, like, looking around, and I was like, okay, is anybody here a cannibal? And, uh, and that sort of thing. So when we got to this episode, I was like, are these finally going to be the cannibals? And there was nothing for me, at least in the beginning, that really gave me that vibe until we saw the suspicious meat, as well as because we were looking at the suspicious meat and they had not brought the deer back. And there was like, all of a sudden, you know, there's like, we got to ration out the stuff that we have, but everyone's getting like a decent sized portion of stew. So then I was like, oh, these are probably the cannibals. But um, I'll go into it a little bit more once we sort of dive deeper into it. I was, I'll I'll just say I was impressed by how they handled the cannibalism in this episode. Because when I read that we would be experiencing cannibals, I thought we were going to get sort of maybe traditional sort of cannibals. You know, like people that are kind of willingly, knowingly... um, doing it and and the way that it was done here was a little bit refreshing i like i'm gonna say i knew that the cannibals were coming since i knew like the gameplay but that meat it made me crack up because it looks like liver like it it or like i don't know it just it didn't look like game meat it didn't look like venison which i've had before and it doesn't look like and I'm going to hate to say this, but, like, since I was in medical school, like, I've dissected cadavers, so I know what they look like. Like, it doesn't look like human meat either. It just looks like meat you bought, like, packaged at a store. So it's just, I don't know, that was really lazy to me. But other than that, like, the fact that they're eating meat, like... Wait, so you wanted them to actually that, use human flesh? Is that what you're huh? saying, Priscilla? I have not eaten human flesh. No, 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 I'm saying you actually <laughs> wanted them to use human flesh? Huh? <laughs> no. You actually wanted them to use human flesh? No, but I wanted them to use, like, pig meat or something that, like, Oh, okay. Looks like... I love how you interpreted what I said as, have you ever eaten human flesh? I'm just hearing that Priscilla wants them to use practical effects. <laughs> <laughs> no, I 
just want them to use something that like looks similar to like human meat or instead instead of that. But I get like why you can't do that practically because you're on set for like fucking hours. Nobody wants to be near rotting meat. But I just feel like practical effects wise, like if you don't want to look like at what a cadaver looks like, like from pictures in a medical journal or something like that, like why wouldn't you like use pig meat, which has been like known to be like really similar to it and just like do like, like kind of like strandy, like striated, like muscles, like the way meat is supposed to look like. It's just, it, it was, it was kind of lazy to me. Well, Priscilla, you know, they would have to be really, really careful too. And they couldn't include people with no feet, right? You know why? <laughs> they have to be considerate of people who are lactose intolerant. The ghost of Jenna Pace haunts the podcast multiverse. <laughs> That's beautiful. Thank you for the perfect setup. <laughs> so, other than that, like, the, did you guys notice, and I don't think Jeffrey noticed, because he said that those were good portions, that everybody was getting teeny portions of meat, but that David got, like, a huge plate full Oh, I didn't notice that. I mean, I thought it was, I thought, I don't want to say that everybody got decent sized portion. What I'm trying to say is that based on the fact that there was like a strong reference to we need to ration, like I felt like the amount that everybody was getting, like when I think of like we got a ration, it's going to be like a teeny, 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 tiny little thing. And like there were like spoonfuls of meat and veg and stew there. And so I was like, this does not seem like a rationing type of situation but i did not notice that david got a lot of meat which uh now that's interesting priscilla yeah it's, it, it sets him up as like the leader like the one that like if if there's rationing it doesn't matter because he's always going to get like the big banana like the piece of the pie like it's i like little subtle clues like that and when he smacks the girl and when he says she'll always have a father and she'll show him respect when he's speaking, I was like, are you talking about God? Until he sits in the father's place and takes, like, what would have been, like, the father's portion of food and starts eating there with that little, like, smarmy-ass grin. And I'm like, you're setting yourself up, like, as the father, like, as mm-hmm. the power figure. That's oh that's creepy like it little shivers went down my spine when he did that i was like fuck this guy is no good when i saw that i thought it was more like the religious stuff versus what we ended up getting later um because what happens later sort of gives a brand new connotation to to that scene although i will say i loved when he slapped her (laughs) I i might go to hell for that but i loved when he slapped the living shit out of her. That was like a pimp slap. It was so good. Yeah. Oh my god. Like and to keep going, like when he when Ellie starts like moving shit to make sure that they don't find him and that she puts the bookcase there, I'm like, damn, they're using other games too. They're using freaking Resident Evil and how they you could put stuff in front of doors. Like that's beautiful. I love that. And the last thing, which is just, like, a nitpick for me, but it's not even a nitpick for me because I didn't notice it. My friend did. He's, like, uh, it says telling two men to haul the horse back. Can two grown men even carry a horse? Horses are heavy. They're not like deer. 
like that would take like three four men to to lift them up like that was the one thing that was just kind of like a detail that i'm like huh that makes no sense but other than that like it was good i liked that I, I liked all those scenes so continuing on one man enters the house that joel is staying in and joel wakes up from the footsteps above him as a man walks down the stairs he finds the mattress joel was lying on empty but covered in blood as the man searches, Joel sneaks up on him and stabs him in the neck, and that seems as though it took all of Joel's remaining strength to do just that as he attempts to get back up. We then cut to Ellie, who David has put in a caged-off section in the kitchen. When she wakes up, David is there waiting. When Ellie asks why she's in a cage, David says it's because he's afraid of her. She's a dangerous person. David makes sure Ellie knows the others want to kill her as she should thank him. David asks what her name is again, and she replies, eat shit. David responds that no one can survive on their own, but he can protect her. Yet Ellie says she's not on her own. David asks how Ellie's friend is doing, and when she sees uncertainty on her face, he latches onto that, saying that part of her life is ending and that he's offering her a beginning. But if Ellie can't trust him, David says that, yes, she is alone. David's men continue their search for Joel, and one of the men finds another one of the men knocked out on the snow. When the man goes to investigate, Joel knocks him out with the butt of his gun. We then cut back inside the house, where Joel has one man tied up while he beats another man tied to a chair. When the man he's punching says he doesn't know any girl, Joel pulls out his knife and stabs him in the knee. Joel tells the man to focus or he'll pop his kneecap off, and the man says she's alive. A bit more cajoling from Joel's knife, and the man says that he's be she's being held in Silver Lake, a nearby resort. Joel pulls a knife out of the man's leg and puts it to his mouth. Joel pulls out his map and tells the man to point with the knife in his mouth where they are and where the resort is, and it better be the same spot the other guy points to. After the man points to the map, Joel stabs him dead. The other man says he's not telling Joel shit, but Joel says he believes the other guy. Then Joel grabs a pipe and beats the other man to death, a quick but powerful glimpse at the violent, destructive man Joel used to be, who will do anything he needs to survive. I'm going to pause at this bloody moment and ask Vinny, who usually appreciates such moments, what did you think? I appreciate you thinking of me and my love for the macabre. Oh, this was great. I mean, you know, if anyone wondered if Joel was going to come back, not only did he come back, they came back with a vengeance. I mean, <clears throat> this is now the, the, the father bear in full-blown attack mode wanting to find out where she is and he's not going to take no for an answer. So I think our talk about how the penicillin was going to heal him and like, Six hours clearly came true. Uh, she must have given him some, like, super penicillin because he was able to function enough to torture this guy and punch the other ones and all of that. I think the key thing about this scene was that, you know, he he's going on adrenaline, clearly, joking aside. You know, he's still recovering, but, like, now not only is the person that he was – you know, he made a promise to take where they need to go in danger, but it's someone that he cares about. And so we get to see the Joel from the very beginning of the show who will do anything to protect the person that he cares about the most. I really enjoyed this scene, you know, not because of the torture, but simply because it is so symbolic of where the show is gone and going with these two. And he's so protective and he's desperate to save her. And I think he's about to be in for a little bit of a surprise, which we'll get to in a minute. But seeing him come back out of the, the wound and all of that ready to go take on the world to find her was phenomenal. So Vinny appreciated this moment. Jeffrey, you who usually appreciate most moments, 
What did you think of this episode? Of yeah. This episode, of this moment? Well, yeah, pop the kneecaps. It was fantastic. It was exciting. It was thrilling. It was great to see Joel back. Um, the penicillin, plus I would say adrenaline, um, helped uh, in that moment. Because I was very worried for him. I, I, I was also very, very worried for those two idiots. But uh, I was more so worried for Joel because I didn't want him to once again, you know, get stabbed or something. So how he was able to uh, get both of the guys and interrogate them and pop out kneecaps and the stabation of the situation was uh, marvelous. It, It was beautiful. Loved it. Our friend is back. <laughs> I, like, I'm going to talk about a moment that, like, you guys, like, didn't really, like, go into, which is David talking to Ellie. Little things that he mentions, like, he can protect her. She is alone. Little things like that. It's in, it's insidious, but it's what, like, grown men do when they're grooming little girls to, like, do what they want them to do, like, sexually or, like, other like gross things like it's just little things like that that they put in the dialogue holy shit like oh my in spanish it's semenchina la piel like my my hair stood on end i'm like oh my god fuck this guy i was like looking away so many times during this because i was just like grossed out by how like cruel he could be like just Ah, he, that was acted so well. Like, I watched it again just to see it, to see if I missed anything, but I didn't. But it's it was still, like, this guy is a really good actor because he, you can tell he's a leader, but you can also tell he's really, like, he twists words around to fit his ends, to fit his needs. And as for the action scene, when he stabs him in the knee, it's exactly what happens in the video game, and I'm like, it's perfect torture technique like because if you have the strength to put a knife through a knee like the knee is like one of like it's filled with a ton of like nerve endings so like it hurts it's almost like breaking a bone or like breaking like tendons and ligaments like just that pain that's gonna be there it's gonna last for a really long time so of course and you of course you're constantly thinking like what if I can't walk anymore because of the knee because like breaking a kneecap so it's just it's good it's good violence tactics and I'm like damn I didn't I I didn't actually think that they were gonna do that in the show I thought it was gonna be too violent to show on a TV series but I'm like this is HBO they show anything so I I was impressed that they did that and when Joel pulls out his map I'm like is he gonna pull is he gonna pull the old lady and the old man thing where he lets one of them show what's like on the map and he, he tells the other one to match it like a part of me foolishly thought maybe these people are gonna survive forgetting the game forgetting everything entirely which is props to the show and when he says don't worry I believe him that's exact that's pulled word for word from the game so awesome and when he grabs the pipe I'm like all you people who are like, he's not using a brick to kill zombies. He's not using, he's, he's just using a gun. There you go. There's your video gameplay of something fucking crazy happening where he's just using whatever's lying around to kick ass. He's using a pipe. That was like brutal and I loved it. 
So back to Ellie. She attempts to escape her cage to no avail. As she does this, she sees something outside the cage that terrifies her. David walks in, bringing a plate of food, and David looks to see what has troubled Ellie, a random person's ear that has been left behind on the floor. David accepts that a secret has been found out, and he promises the food he brought her is just deer meat. Ellie asks if they're going to chop her up, but Ellie, David says he'd rather not, and once again asks Ellie for her name. David says, if you want to judge me, before Ellie kicks his food, calling him a sick fuck for eating people. David admits that they do and that only a few people know, but he would have told her. David says it was a last resort and it shames him, but what was he supposed to do, let his people starve? David says Ellie sees a lot, but so does he. David says when he looks at her, he sees himself. She's a natural leader, smart, loyal, violent. David says he knows if he lets her out, she'll stab him in a second because she has a violent heart. And he he should know. He's always had one, too. He struggled with this, but once the world ended, he saw the truth thanks to cordyceps. He says that cordyceps aren't evil. They're fruitful. They multiply. It feeds and protects their children. And it protects their future with violence if it must. And it loves. Ellie asks why he's saying this, and David says it's because she can handle it in the ways others can't. The other people need God, heaven, a father, but Ellie doesn't. All David wants is an equal and a friend. David gets closer to the cage, telling Ellie he can tell the others to stop looking for Joel, and they'll listen to him as long as Joel leaves them in peace as well. Ellie contemplates this as David states that they do what they tell him to do. They follow him, and they would follow both him and Ellie. David asks what he thinks they could do together, and he puts his hand on one of the cage bars. David contemplates how they could grow with both of them in power. And as Ellie slowly moves around closer to his, David says to imagine the life he and Ellie could build, that he puts his hand on hers. Ellie puts her other hand on top of his hand, then breaks one of his fingers, and she grabs for the keys. David slams her against the bars until she bleeds from the nose as the real David comes out, saying, just wait and see what he tells the others now. As he walks away, Ellie states her name. David looks back and says, what? To which she replies, tell them Ellie's a little girl who broke your fucking finger. David retorts, how did you put it? Tiny little pieces before leaving her. So I'm going to pause here and ask Jeffrey, who had no idea this was going to come up. What did you think? Yes, I had no idea we were going to be dealing with pedophilia in this episode uh, at all. So that was shocking, but not surprising. You know, once he sort of made his move, like all of the other conversations made sense. You know, he was basically propping her up almost as like, you're going to be, you know, my queen and I'm going to be the king of this castle so, I mean, that was, it was interesting to watch because I was like, oh, crap, they're going there, there with this. Um, you know, so I don't use the term groomer or anything like that. Uh, I, I know it's, it's become a popular term, especially on the right, um, along with uh, the bastardization of the term woke and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so I didn't, like, I didn't pick up on any of that until it was like right in my face and I was like oh shit um so yeah I was like oh shit and then when she realized it and she used that to her advantage 
to break his finger, that was majestic. It was just so good. I was like, oh, like, break every bone in his body. Like, it was just fantastic. When she saw the ear, though, I was like, oh, okay, official, 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 official confirmation about the cannibalism. And like I said before, how they did the cannibalism on this show, when I was thinking of, okay, there are going to be cannibals, there's going to be a group that's cannibalistic i was like okay they're all gonna be in on it they're all they all have like chosen to be cannibals and that kind of thing and so they're gonna be the most cannibally cannibals that we're gonna see on screen that was kind of like what i was expecting so the fact that we got a bit of a twist where a couple of people in charge know about the cannibalism but for the most part the superiors in the society are uh, lying to the group in regards to the fact that they're eating human meat. I was like, oh, that's that's a little bit of a twist that I enjoyed um, because I, I was not expecting that at all. And um, just, I, I want to give props to the actor that played David. He played... Creepy, smarmy, psychopathic, beautifully. I mean, the way that he, in essence, was justifying both the cannibalism and his pedophilia by talking about how he's seen how the world has changed and his eyes have opened. Because that whole conversation that he had where he was basically telling her, you know, how he feels about the world post the apocalypse was, in my opinion, him justifying everything that he does. And so the way that he worded it, this epiphany that he had, um, I was like, all right, man, like say what you need to say to make yourself feel better to justify, you know, these violent, um, uh, amoralistic tendencies. I mean, you do do what you need to do to help you sleep at night, uh, but I see you for exactly what you are. A pedophile cannibal. Yes. <laughs> so, Vinny, what did you think about this moment? Uh, this scene was intense, and kudos to Ellie for freaking just reeling him in and smashing his hand and just doing it all. I loved this section because it was so much the, like, if this is the penultimate episode, this was the penultimate moment before their final confrontation between these two. It was riveting. It was enjoyable. I really don't have too much to add that hasn't already been talked about. But yeah, kudos to the guy because he did Creepy really, really well. He's done it before in Breaking Bad when he played like a cop. in, And I put cops in quotations because you think he's a cop and then like he turns out he's not. He's one of the bad guys. So like... They got a perfect actor because, like, the little the little ticks he does in his face, the little, like, kind of, like, arching of his upper lip to show his teeth when he does that little kind of, like, smirk slash grin. Oh, like, little moments like that. I'm like, God dang, you, dude, you, you play creepy too well. What the hell? But um, they changed bits from the game for this moment because in the game, it's implied that they're cannibals and, like, you know, like by picking up documents like you know for sure that they are cannibals but ellie eats the food 
So in this one, when she kicks the food and she sees the the ear, I'm like, thank God they changed that because nobody wants to think that they that their hero is eating human flesh. Like you don't you don't want to know that. So I, I'm I'm glad that they didn't go like too far down the bend and make her eat the food. And I'm gonna see. I'm gonna point out little things that like. I don't mind using the term that he was using as like a groomer when he's when he compliments her, when he's like saying she's a natural leader, smart, loyal, when he sees himself in her, when he says all he wants is an equal and a friend, when how they could grow both of them in power, like all of that is like saying, like, I want you to be like equal to me. And I'm like, she is a minor. She is never going to be equal to you. What the hell are you on, you sad, creepy little man? Fuck off. Oh, I I was I hated this moment. I was I was like just begging for it to end. So when she puts her hand on his, I'm like, no, don't accept it, Ellie. And then she breaks his finger. Ah, oh, that was such like it it opened the geyser to my heart and like just like joy rushed out i was like she's not falling for his tricks she's being smart good girl and when uh, when he says his biggest mistake though even though like he was smart in saying like i like you could we could make it so that joel survives what his biggest mistake was saying that People need God, heaven, and a father, but Ellie doesn't. She doesn't need a father because she has a father figure in Joel. She might have fallen for it the way she fell for the military rhetoric from the general, but she's not anymore because she's found someone to fill that role for her, to fill that mentor, fatherly figure role in Joel, and she doesn't need it from David. She sees his bullshit. So I was... I was amazed. Like that that was just really, really, really good dialogue. Ah. Uh, and that little bit at the end, tiny little pieces, exact like pulled from the game, word for word. And it was creepy. Just as creepy as it is as it is in the game. So back to Joel, who has made it to Silver Lake looking for Ellie when he sees a trail of blood in the snow. He breaks into the locked door that the trail leads to and finds Ellie's pack. He finds their horse inside, then three human bodies tied up by their ankles without any heads. As we cut back to Ellie, David and James have come to get her, and she screams and fights them, even biting David in the process. They both hold her down on the table, and David says she had her chance as he lifts the butcher knife. Right before he swings it down, Ellie proclaims that she's infected. This stops David as he realizes the implications of the bite she just gave him. Ellie says they should look at her arm, and David sees the bite, to which Ellie says everything happens for a reason, right? David and James can't believe it, and as they debate it, Ellie grabs the butcher knife and stabs James in the side of the throat, and she runs while David shoots at her. Ellie runs out the room she's been held in. We see she's in the steakhouse from before, and she grabs a burning stick from a nearby fire. David carelessly pulls a knife from James' lifeless body and goes to hunt Ellie. She hides with the stick as David enters the room, knife in hand. She throws the burning stick at him and misses, which quickly catches one of the curtains on fire. David continues to look for Ellie, telling her there's no way out, that she can't be infected, since none of the infected fights this hard to be alive. Ellie asks how she did it, or if she's just that fucking special. 
Meanwhile, Joel makes his way through the snowstorm with Ellie's bag, urgently searching for her. Back at the steakhouse, David complains how about how good he is and how he could have made Ellie's life better, repeating her name as though her true name is almost a gift to him. David says that neither one of them is dying today and that he's changed his mind. Ellie needs a father and he's going to keep her and teach her. But Ellie has found a knife and she gets the jump on David, stabbing him in the leg, which leads him to knock her to the ground. David climbs on top of her and tells her that fighting is what he likes the most. Ellie cries as David gets closer to her as he says there's no fear in love. But Ellie grabs the butcher knife that David has dropped and stabs him. She then gets on top of him with the knife, hacking away at him over and over and over again as she screams, while David's blood flies in her face as the building burns around them. Ellie escapes the steakhouse, exhausted from killing David. When Joel finds her and surprises her, Ellie yells at him again to get off of her, not realizing that it's Joel. She fights him when he turns her around and takes her a bit to calm down and realize that it's Joel. He holds Ellie's head in her hand, saying, it's me, and Ellie almost can't speak as she hugs him, finally feeling safe. At this moment, Joel says, it's okay, baby girl, which he used to call Sarah, and what he called her when she passed in the first episode. Joel says he's got her, and he gives Ellie his jacket, holding her and her bag as they walk away from Silver Lake, safe with each other once more. That was intense. So I'm going to give it to Jeffrey, who I saw on Facebook went crazy for these last five minutes of the episode and asked, what did you think? Oh, yes. I posted a meme. I think it's actually of a dude at a hibachi restaurant. But, you know, you just see the flames and you hear him scream of like joy of watching the flames. I mean, that's how it was at the end. Oh, my gosh. Like, I wanted the man to burn to a crisp. Um, but what we saw happen was was fantastic i loved that he was like typical like horror movie villain who was like talking all this shit and that sort of thing i well actually let me rewind when he saw that she was infected and uh, like she had bitten him and he was like ah you're infected now too bitch uh, everything happens for a reason i was like oh yes use his words against him spectacular and then he was freaking out amazing and then she uh, butcher knifed his friend who was the original joel in uh, the uh, game beautiful and then she threw the the wood causing a fire spectacular and then she ended up stabbing him and then he was like he was he was gonna rape her i mean let's just be honest i mean he was going to I don't know what the hell he was thinking, because that whole place was going to burn down. And so, in his, you know, machismo sort of way, he was like, I don't care where the hell we are, and I'm just going to take you, because of, you know, um, his incelly type of ness was taken over, like, you have besmirched my manhood, so I'm going to prove myself right now. I was like, I don't know what you're trying to do, sir. But I'm so glad that she was able to stop him and completely, um, I mean, let's go with the hibachi. I mean, she was like the dude at the hibachi table chopping up the meat and, uh, you know, uh, mixing everything up. Like, it was amazing. It was bloody it was it wasn't really explicit 
but it certainly um, made the point of exactly what Ellie was doing, and it was just, it, it was such a wonderfully emotional moment, um, because basically she reclaimed her power by taking him out, and um, I, I was, I, listen, I was here for that, I mean, that man needed to die. And he did. The fact that none of his congregation was, like, attracted to the fire or anything, um, I'm kind of okay with that just because, you know, I think the emotional catharsis of the moment would have been ruined with onlookers around. But um, it did take me out for, like, half a second. Like, there's this giant fire. There's a whole bunch of yelling. Um, You would think somebody would be, like what's going on outside but anyway um then at the end the re the um, the reunion moment was beautifully done by both actors I, I i enjoyed that she was still kind of like fight or flight and then he had to kind of like um snap her out of it and she was clearly shooketh by everything the cannibalism the pedophilia the you know sexual near sexual assault the murder, I mean, it's, Bella Ramsey played it beautifully, he, Pedro Pascal, play, played it wonderfully as well, the fact also that he went looking for her, and he was gonna save her, remember, a couple of episodes ago, in the very beginning, he was calling her Cargo, and then he called her Baby Girl, so, it was a beautiful, full circle moment, where clearly, as I mentioned before, Ellie has had an immense amount of character development, and so has Joel, and their bond has solidified. So we have a hearty congratulatory yes coming from Jeffrey. Finny, you're usually harder to please. What did you think? I think Ellie needed to be a little bit faster. Chop, chop! Ha! No, this was amazing. I loved it. You know, this was the culmination that we needed in this episode of the creepy snake that was David and Ellie almost getting stuck in his grasp and her turning around and just completely going unhinged. This is actually something that's been building up this entire season. Ellie has been holding a lot of shit in and she's lost people. She's gotten new people in her life that she's lost. And then, you know, she's almost been dumped by Joel and then she got him back and then she almost lost him. So she's got this pent up emotions and, you know, David just, he tapped into something in her that was almost primal, her hatred of everything she's had to go through. The, the, the actress did a phenomenal job of portraying the utter rage and fear. She just went berserk. And even though we didn't see him all bloody and sliced up, you could hear it happening and you could see in her face what she was doing and her fleeing the scene afterwards and running into Joel and still being in that berserker rage was so appropriate because, you know, she's held so much in. And when she finally let it go, she couldn't stop feeling. She couldn't stop being scared. She couldn't stop being, you know, afraid of what might come next. And this was such an intense scene and really, really vivid. The fire in the background and her just swinging blindly and him going down, like, this was some A-plus filming. I really, really enjoyed this, and I thought it was a very well-done 
culmination of what began as a very slow and charming little conversation to get it to a point where there's pedophilia and religious zealotry and cannibalism. This was a bit of a sleeper episode that blew into a windstorm of fire, and I was totally here for it. And I love your imagery. That was that was Thank wonderfully you. put. Um, for me, being a little bit more plain spoken, I'm just gonna say, biting David was wow. That was genius of her, because I wouldn't have like. Of course, you're gonna fight and use whatever you can—nails, teeth, whatever. But the fact that she like imprinted like a jaw print on him, like the way cordyceps does. And says everything happens for a reason, right? Like, little things like that. I'm just kind of like, dang. That is so smart of her to use, like, what Joel thought would be a hindrance to her to a good effect. And I was just blown away by, like, how smart she is. And then when she stabs James in the side of the throat, like, a part of me is like, Toy Baker, you must be so pleased. And... After the show, he's like, yeah, I, I was super happy that I wasn't, like, just a regular, like, cordyceps, like, fun guy. Like, I was an actual character, and I get to die, like, in a really gruesome way. Oh, and speaking of which, I forgot to mention this before, but the first guy Joel kills, the one that he stabs, it just kind of, like, looks and does, like, this, like, evil little grin before he dies. I was like, god dang, that's that's so graphic. The All the deaths this episode were super like just really detailed and graphic so man that was great even like the little things like when she stabs him in the side of the throat and like little like blood gushes out from the neck wound awesome practical effects like I loved that and when she's running away from David like I remember my husband playing that part of the game and me being like hide like to do something like he he was playing it like it was nothing because he he's used to playing video games but i was in tenterhook so when she's in in the in the show when she throws the burning stick and misses i was like no girl you lost your only weapon why would you do that why wouldn't you wait until he got really close like stab him in the face with it what the hell so when it's when the steakhouse starts burning i'm like oh you both are gonna die there and when he says like no one's going to die today. He de- She needs a father and he's going to keep her and teach her. Oh, like, and that made me think you called the other girl her, you, you called yourself her father and she seemed really cowed by you. And when he says fighting is what he likes the most, it makes me think the other girl must have been like raped too, because he seems eerily like used to this, like that he, He's used to calling himself a father. He's used to manhandling little girls like that. So I, it just painted that picture of what he did when he backhanded the little girl so much creepier. So when she hacks at him over and over again as she, as she screams, I was like, yes, catharsis. I love this. Do it more. Uh, Like, it was a smart way to show violence without, like, showing the body and, like, showing, like, a pummeled up corpse or something like that. Like, we've had enough of that in Game of Thrones when, like, Oberyn's, like, head gets smashed in and shows, like, a pulpy, like, after effect. Like, we don't need to see that. This, like, 
it seems almost even more powerful to show the effect that killing has on the on the perpetrator than it does on the victim. Like that's just and you could see while she's screaming like something inside her is breaking. Like it's she's not innocent anymore. Like even though he didn't actually like rape her, he took her childhood from her either way. Like that's so it's it's crazy. And I'm gonna mention what uh Jeffrey pointed out when she's there's no onlookers think about it there's no alarms anymore there's there's no electricity and when she escapes the steakhouse she escapes from the back way she doesn't escape from the front and when you think about it like these people have been cowed by the uh david and by james so they're not gonna immediately go to like look and save him they're gonna be like we're going to follow our own, take our own advice and mind our own business here. So, like, I could see, like, I can excuse why there wasn't, like, a rush of people. Plus, if you think about it, Joel is smart. He wouldn't, like, automatically just, like, run into, like, a burning building to save, like, the girl. Like, he'd take out, like, all of the bad guys before going into, like, the building. So a part of me thought, like, Maybe, like, we didn't get to see that he took out, like, the guards or whatever that was there in front of, like, the steakhouse. It didn't look like that much of a big group. So, I like, either Joel killed the people that were onlookers or they Ellie escaped the steakhouse from the back and the onlookers just don't want to mess with a terrible situation. Like, either way, both of these, like, explanations explain, like, why it happened the way it did. And when he said, Joel said, it's okay, baby girl, a little tear went down my cheek. And it takes, it takes a lot for me to cry in a thing. Like, I didn't even cry in Bambi when I was a kid. But, like, when he said that, I just flashed back to my dad and how he calls me babies. And I'm like, no, father-daughter moment. This is, like, hell for me. This is, like, this breaks my heart. Like, ah, that was just beautiful and god it was exactly like the video game and it was just perfect and shot so well and i kudos to the the episode writers and the the people that set up the shots this was just really well crafted and done so with that being said now it's time to pick the mvp the most valuable player state which character has impressed you throughout the episode and why once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again, so choose wisely. And as much as I would like to take the first route, I'm going to stick with tradition and be Do the it. last. So I'm going to let Finny go first, since he didn't choose last time. Finny, who's your MVP and why? Ooh, so many choices. You know, <clears throat> I am going to give it to Ellie this time. She has come so far as a character, and Bella Ramsey has played her to the teeth in such an impressive way, turning my initial opinion that she wasn't right for the role around. She really came into her own in this episode, you know, bringing Ellie into this sweeping crescendo of rage and fire and hurt and violence that I think will be a memorable scene to go down for the ages. This was a really strong journey for her. This was her solo outing without Joel, and while things went awry, 
she came out on top and she came out swinging. So yeah, she is my MVP. I'm glad somebody chose her. <laughs> he took Vinny, yours. Vinny. He you... snatched her. Yeah, you snatched her. Did I? See, I thought I would be snatching if I went with David. (laughs) (laughs) So we have Ellie chosen. Jeffrey, who do you pick as the MVP and why? Well, Vinny said it. I'm giving it to David. He was just fantastic. The actor did an incredible job of being a piece of shit. And I got to give him props for that. I mean, he was just um, very cult leader, religious leader, creepy, and, uh, you know, everything he said was, there was, like, subtext upon subtext upon subtext to every single thing he said and every single action he did in this episode. Um, yeah, he played a villain incredibly well. It's a shame that he was just a villain for one episode, um, yeah, I wonder if the showrunners are going to, um, like, as they get into the writer's room for season two, if they're going to look back at this season and be like, shit, did we really have to go through the entire first game in this season? Like, could we have dragged it out just a little bit? Um, but yeah, like, he was a great villain. It, just spectacular. I got to give him major props like everything that he said was disgusting um and he's a piece of shit as if i didn't uh you know i just want to mention it again for like extra reference um yeah he was horrible a piece of shit (laughs) but mvp because he was spectacular being a piece of shit (laughs) nice to see that a piece of shit got your mvp (laughs) but since you guys picked the two media strolls, I'm going to pick the one that was the sly, like, side ahead. Like, he's not the main portion of this, but the portions that he did have were great. And that was Joel. And that's it. I rarely give him the MVP, but I think about it. And I think about, like, how he played Dying Man, like, in and out of consciousness so well. Like, I completely believed as a scene partner with Ellie when he was, like, dying that he was dying, that he wasn't there. And when he finally, like, gets awake, the struggle that he faces, the fact that, like, he shows such brutality in, like, taking out the people with a knife to the knee or with a pipe to the face, like, it is awesome. It's brutal. And that heartbreaking moment when he says, baby girl, cherry on top of a sundae. I loved it. It was just... He played his subtleties with the parts that he had to do in this episode really well. I if if you have to pick a scene partner to pick protective father, go for Pedro Pascal because he obviously he does it well with Grogu and he does it well with Ellie. It's just it's good. So now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 infected? The point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than 10, you may grant the coveted golden infected. And I'm going to go with Jeffrey first. What would you give it? Hey, baby girl. When I think of baby girl, I think of the 365 movies, which has nothing to do with this. Um, And I feel like both of you probably have impeccable film taste that you guys have never actually seen it. Um, but, um, they're trash, but in a fun way. Um, 
outside of that non sequitur, I'm I was sort of trying to stall because yes, I'm giving it a golden, spectacular from beginning to end, wonderful episode. I was on the edge of my seat. Um, it was disgusting in certain moments, but it should have been because uh, we had a uh, cannibal, pedophilic preacher, uh, cult leader as the uh, villain for the episode. Did I mention he was a piece of shit? But um, the episode was not. It was golden. Worthy of golden uh, from beginning to end. Just a stellar hour. Well, it wasn't really an hour. It was like 50 minutes of television. But stellar nonetheless. So we have a stellar golden. Vinny, what did you give it? Oh, it's a golden for me as well. You know, th- this is an example of an episode that... In the beginning, it, it kind of was like, oh, this is going to be chill and probably not exciting. And within like 15, 20 minutes, that was definitely not the case. It, it ramped it up to 100. And all of the slow moments in the beginning that seemed like it might be a chill episode were really tension pacing. And it was really, really all the way to the end, a wild ride. And it, probably up there is one of the best episodes of the season. Okay, you guys both gave it a golden and of course, you've heard, you've heard me waxing effusive about this episode from the beginning. I wasn't going to give it anything but a golden. It was just, like, unlike the episode from, like, two episodes ago, which you guys gave goldens, and I would have given a seven to. Like, I felt that that one was, like, really slow and quiet the whole way, with the whole way around. It had a quiet sort of strength. But this one was just, like, it started off, like, slow and insidious and and soft only to lead to like violent crescendos and just like banging of just flesh and blood and fire just it was crazy it was crazy and it was just beautiful to watch it was just it it kept me captivated the entire time of course the golden it's it was a really good episode of television and i'm going to say this like if Nobody gets, like, nominated for for an Emmy for this episode. Like, I will be surprised. Because Bella Ramsey, Joel, Peter Pascal, the guy that played David, like, they all did an epic job at what they were supposed to do. This was, even, even if it's just, like, doing, like, capturing of, like, music in this, in this episode, it was just, it was done so well, like... Uh, it has to win awards. It just has to. So with that said, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Cordyceps Chronicles. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Cordyceps Chronicles and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with you, Vinny. Good night, everyone. And remember, if you're a cannibal, every truck is a food truck. (laughs) And you, Jeffrey. 
so deliciously wrong. Have a good night, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe to the Cordyceps Chronicles via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. New episodes release every Tuesday. You can also download the entire series by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Good night. Wonderful. I still can't. The Priscilla thought I that I you thought that I asked you have you ever eaten human flesh. <laughs> that was so good. Oh. <laughs>